God has great things in store for us today. I just believe that. I believe that's the God that I serve. Amen. Uh, if, we'll, if we'll press forward through whatever circumstance and situation we may be facing today, whatever storm we may be in the middle of, and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Amen. We'll continue walking toward Him. Whatever situation we're in right now, we continue walking toward Him. Touching the hem of His garment. Pressing forward through the press, if necessary, to touch Him. To hear His voice. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We worship You. We praise You. We laud and we magnify You. We know of a surety that You are here in our midst today. That You are present in this place this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. We worship You, Lord Jesus, the Lord our God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who fights our battles for us. Thank You, Jesus, for victory. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for deliverance and for salvation and for healing and for provision. For everything that we have, we give You glory. We worship You and we thank You for it. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that Your will would be manifest in this service today. Those that need healing, that they would receive healing supernaturally and miraculously. I pray those that need salvation would, would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, a place of repentance unto salvation today. Whatever the need is this morning, here or online, I pray in Jesus' name that You would meet the need. That You would meet the need, Thou Most High God. All eyes, all hearts, all ears are attent unto You this morning, Thou Most High. We bind together as one body, entering into Your presence to receive of You Your good things. Hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome opportunity You've given us today. What a great opportunity we have in front of us today. Help us, Lord, to avail ourselves of it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to esteem it greatly. To understand what a privilege it is to enter into Your presence and, and to experience You the way that we do. Help us, Lord Jesus, as the Word of God goes forth to receive it, to take ownership of it, to possess it, to do it according to Your perfect will. Let Your will be manifest in this place today and let Your name be glorified in it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. We worship the Most High God. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Your name is to be worshipped. Your name is to be praised. And it is in this place today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. That's okay. Let's worship God. Let's worship God. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of all worship, of all praise, of all glory and all honor. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are our King, our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. And we worship You today. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. What an awesome presence of the Lord in this place. Praise God. Our youth can be dismissed at this time. Amen. Amen. By way of review, last week we talked about uh, David and Goliath. It's a time-honored story, a time-honored account. And uh, in that we realized Saul, in his backslidden state, abdicates his royal responsibilities. Now, when you're the guy in charge, you have some responsibilities. You don't just get to have authority. I mean, that's not all there is to being in charge. You also get to have some responsibilities, right? Amen. Amen. That's why you have the authority. So that you can discharge those responsibilities. Amen. And Saul, uh, he, he continues to fail miserably. He failed when he had God on his side. But when our story picks up, he doesn't have God on his side. Physically, he was the best shot at taking down Goliath. He was head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. He's a big dude. He was the king. He had the authority to do it. But he was missing one thing, wasn't he? God. God was not on his side. I, d I don't know if he was... 100% cognizant of that or not, if he was fully aware of that or not. But in any case, if you have God on your side and you know God is on your side, folks, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be cowering in fear. Yeah, the enemy is too big for us. Absolutely. I'm a little guy. 
But the guy that's fighting for me, the God that's fighting for me, he's huge. So I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret about these things. That's why the Bible says he's not given us the spirit of fear. Even as a Christian, even when we know God is fighting for us, the spirit of fear does confront us from time to time, doesn't it? We do feel that emotion. We do feel that, that presence sometimes in situations. But that's not for us. That's not for the child of God. We rebuke that like any other spirit. That's not ours to, to, to deal with. God has given us power and love and a sound mind. Do you know what a sound mind is? In that awful situation, when chaos is all around us, we can think clearly, calmly. Our thought process is, is stable. We're not, we're not panicking. We're not going crazy. We know what to do. We can see our way through because God fights for us. Amen. When you know God is not with you, yeah, maybe you should be afraid in some situations. Maybe you should be terrified. But when you know God is with you, there is no reason for that. Saul hears about a guy willing to take on Goliath and summons him to his tent. Again, I can imagine his disappointment when he sees little David standing in front of him. Uh, his response, of course, was, you can't. You can't fight this, this Goliath. Some of you have been told that from time to time. You tell your elder, you tell some trusted individual, man, God's been talking to me. God, I feel like God wants me to do that. I, I think I can do this. I think that with, with God's help, we, we, could, we can get this done. No, you can't do that. You're not going to do that. God forbid. God forbid. God has told you something, folks. Man, hold on to that. Move forward in that. Amen. If you know it was God, bless God. Move forward. If you're not sure, get godly counsel. Those, those, those individuals in your life that you trust to speak into your life, get counsel from them. Amen. Let God move you forward in, in whatever area He's desiring to do. David shares with Saul his testimony of what God has already done through him. So Saul lets the shepherd boy go out and face the monster he really should have been facing down himself. David refuses the king's armor and weapons because he was unfamiliar with them. They had not been tried. They weren't fitted for David. They weren't David's weapons. They weren't David's armor. They were somebody else's weapons. Somebody else's talents. Somebody else's gifts. If you're not called to be a worship leader, you're going to struggle trying to lead worship. Trust me, I know. I did it for ten years. And I'm no better now than I was the first day I did it. Maybe a little more comfortable, but I don't think I'm any better. Amen. Yeah, that's not my calling. <coughs> But I did it because they needed a body up there. Praise God. I think, I think God blessed me for that, but that's not my calling. Find your calling, folks. Find the weapons that were fitted for you, the armor that was fitted for you, the gifts and the talents, the calling that is yours, and use them greatly for the kingdom of God. Amen. David was proficient with other weapons. He had other gifts and talents that, that God wanted to use him with. Weapons that God gave him victory with in the past. Once David's preparation was complete, he hasted to meet Goliath. And David wasn't intimidated by Goliath. He had every right to be intimidated by Goliath. This little shepherd boy in front of this man of war. Ten and a half to twelve feet tall, some say. Full armor, shield, weapons. And trained how to use them. But David wasn't intimidated at all. He used the weapons that he was familiar with, and God wrought a great victory in Israel. Amen. Daily devotions. Any one of the Israelites could have invoked the covenant name of God and experienced the same victory David did. I like how these lessons focused on that, invoking the covenant name of God. Because that's huge, folks, and that's important for us to understand today. 
when we're in a situation, we're in a covenant relationship with God. And if we could, if we could begin to understand the power that that invokes in our lives, in our situations, when we invoke that covenant name, there's nothing that anyone can do against that. Because it's your legal right. It's your covenant right. Any one of the children of Israel could have done that. Any one of them. I'm sorry, Eleanor. I'm loud. (laughs) Any one of them could have done that. But David said that. David stepped up. David, when he came into the camp, he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He was incredulous in our lives. When demons and devils come against us, we are, or, or one of our brothers or sisters, we ought to be, who is this demon and devil that's coming against the child of God? Who does he think he is? And when he faced Goliath, David said this, You come against me with a shield and a spear and a sword. I come against you. How? In the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He invokes the name of God. He comes against him in the name of the Lord. And because of that, and only because of that, he got victory. He released God into the situation. And God did what he does best. Amen. He defeated the enemy for David. God will do that for you, folks. He will do that for you. Is the Bible true? Now, I know we're all going to say it's true. And we believe that. I believe that all of us believe that. But sometimes we don't live like all of this is true. Sometimes we live our lives as if we're not really sure if that part is true or not. We get into a situation and we start getting all, all worried and concerned. Why are you worried and concerned? Because you're not sure if God's going to help you or not. You're not sure if God will help you or not. This is for, for whatever reason, our faith is in question here. I might have to take care of this myself. That's why you're afraid. That's why you're in doubt. That's why you're, you're anxious. But folks, if this Bible is true, and I believe it's all true, every jot, every tittle, I believe it's all true. Let God be true and every man a liar. If this book is true, then if I invoke the covenant name, God is going to give me victory. Now, we understand how that works. It's going to be on God's timing. It's going to be God's design, God's will. God's going to do it. I'm not going to tell Him how to do His job. He won't listen to me anyway. I've tried. He doesn't listen. He just does what He wants to do. Thank God. I'm glad He does what He wants to do. And not always what I want to do. Praise God. But when I invoke His covenant name, whatever situation or circumstance I face, I can expect that God is going to help me in that situation. Whatever the situation is, however hopeless it seems. Amen. Jesus wants us to have faith in Him. Not in our own ability. Not in what the circumstance seems like or looks like. Yeah, the mountain is big, folks. But God is bigger. He's so much bigger. He's not worried about the mountain. He's not worried about the storm or situation I'm in at present. And so I don't have to be worried about it either. David's ability to win victories was not because of himself, but because he consistently submitted every situation to God and allowed God to give him victory. Amen. David's bravery contrasted Saul's cowardice. David's faith contrasted Saul's doubt. So many contrasts in those two lives. Anyway, day one. 
Saul's solution was to have the best equipment possible using brute human, human force. We've got to get a bigger Goliath to fight this Goliath. If we had a bigger Goliath, we could win this battle. That was Saul's solution. David's solution was to achieve victory by invoking the covenant name of his God. David's solution was, let's get a bigger God. And that's our solution today, folks. Every circumstance and situation we face, a lot of them, in fact, will not, cannot be won or, or, or worked through through temporal and human means. I get myself into a financial bind for whatever reason. I start owing people a lot of money. What am I going to do with that? If through no fault of my own, I can't think of a situation off the top of my head. I think of all kinds of situations where it is my fault. But maybe through no fault of my own, I, I'm, I'm bankrupt. And I'm in debt millions of dollars. How am I going to get through that? I work a quick trip. I can't pay off millions of dollars debt. But God can. God can work me through that situation somehow. Amen. The situation is impossible for me, but very possible for God. Day two. The battle David fought certainly was one-sided, but not the way most people think. Goliath and his false gods were the real underdogs. And God was the one dominating the battlefield. Amen. Sometimes God will deliver us from the enemy, and other times God will give us victory over the enemy. I like that. Those are entirely different situations. Sometimes he'll completely remove us from the situation. Other times he's going to have us fight our way through. And he'll give us victory in the battle. Praise God. But either way, God gives us victory. Day three, David's trust was not in his weapons, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. Our spiritual leaders daily stand in the gap for us. Pray for them. I pray for my leaders. I always have. I know a lot of you pray for your leaders. I thank you for that. We must pray for our leaders, folks. They're the ones that are watching out for our souls. Praise God. Day four. David wanted victory, but not for his own glory, for God's, whose name was being cursed and blasphemed. He said this at the end, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Praise God. That we would be very jealous for God's glory. Behind David's triumph over Goliath were countless hours of slingshot practice, praise, worship, and shepherding when he was alone in the fields. Times of preparation. Times on the backside of the desert where no one knows who you are or what you're doing for God. That's okay. That's okay. God knows. Whose approval are we seeking anyway? Whose favor are we seeking in the first place? I'm seeking God's. Invest your gifts, talents, spiritual disciplines, and relationship with God. Investing in your gifts, talents, I'm sorry. That time is never wasted. Time in preparation is never wasted. It always reaps benefits down the road. Day 5. Little David's fast and lopsided victory demonstrated that it was all God. It was a ridiculous victory. I mean, it was stupid, really. If you're a boxing fan, I'm really not. I was more of a UFC fan. Uh, but uh, even there, uh, you'd watch a fight, and it, the bell would ring, and it's over in like 10 seconds. And you're like, well, that was dumb. There was nothing there. David's victory was kind of like that. Threw a stone in his forehead and cut his head off. And that was it. David used Goliath's sword to sever his head. God will take what the enemy meant for you and turn it back on his own head. I think of Haman in the book of Esther. Uh, what a perfect example of that. Wanted to hang Mordecai, 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 however you want to say it. <clears throat> He's not around to correct me. In the hangman's noose, because he hated this Jew. 
But God flipped it all around, and he was the one that ended up being hanged on his own noose. <laughs> I love it. The heavy armor the French knights wore caused them to sink in the mud during the Hundred year, Years' War. I've read some stuff about the Hundred, hundred Years' War, but I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting. When we're encumbered by cares of this life, it can hinder our ability to engage the enemy. Let him go. There's no reason for us to be carrying extra weight. We're trying to run a race. If I'm running a marathon, I'm not going to have a 100-pound rucksack on. No, sir. You can if you want. But I'll probably pull ahead of you. Because you've got 100 pounds that I don't. Amen. Get rid of that thing. Give it to Jesus. Let Him carry it. You're not supposed to. The Scripture text for our lesson today is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. That's the right time. Man, alright. 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6-16 through 16 says this, Then he called for Solomon his son, and charged him to build an house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build an house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon." And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build an house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God as he hath said, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of a good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold, and a thousand thousand, that's one million, talents of silver, and of brass and iron without weight. For it is in abundance, timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. Amen. We're so accustomed to the pace of our world today that it can be difficult for us even to imagine the dynamics at work hundreds or thousands of years ago. Consider the differences in construction projects then and now. The mighty Hoover Dam was constructed in just five years. The Gateway Arch in St. Louis took only about two and a half years. The majestic Empire State Building in New York City was completed in a mere one year and 45 days. But construction in ancient times was conducted on a whole different scale. The Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris took 182 years to complete. York Minster, a cathedral in Dreamgate, England, was 252 years in the making. The rock city of Petra in Jordan was carved in over 450 years. The Great Wall of China was completed over the course of approximately 2,000 years. It was not at all uncommon for hundreds if not thousands of workers to give their lives to building something, knowing it would never be completed before their deaths. In today's lesson, we'll consider a most significant a most significant construction project from the pages of Scripture. While the actual building of it remarkably only consumed seven years, the process of seeing it rise took much longer and spanned two generations. What we commonly call Solomon's Temple, because he was sitting on the throne during its construction, actually was only completed in that short time frame because of the investment of time and finance and planning and gathering of materials by his father David. Had it not been for David's commitment to something he would never personally see the wonder of the temple and all that transpired there might never have been. We all should be investing in things that will outlive us. We should be willing to give our time, talent, and treasure to work on kingdom items that may or may not ever be realized during our lives, but which will make a huge impact in the generations that follow. 
Doing so, doing so ensures God's purposes extend beyond any particular person or personality. Amen to that. No worker is more important than another. The individual who drives the last nail is not more valuable than the one who drove the first. Had it not been for the former's commitment and contribution, the latter would never have enjoyed the ribbon cutting. It can be challenging to keep the big picture in mind how what we are doing matters when we are mired down in the details of our particular task. Still, David and Solomon can teach us some lessons about how one can complete what another begins. But God is the one who gets all the glory. Amen. So we'll be exploring that topic in our lesson today. David desires to honor God. I think we all understand that. In trying to give David's life a fair and unbiased evaluation, one must come to the conclusion that there was a huge contrast between the best of David and the worst of David. He was unwilling to harm King Saul even though he sought to kill him. And yet at the same time, he was willing and ready to slaughter all of Nabal's house for Nabal's insulting speech and lack of charity. Quite a discrepancy there. I would like to pick his brain and wonder, uh, I understand why he didn't want to touch Saul. He was God's anointed. He had the anointing oil on him. I understand that. But I don't understand the latter. David committed gross atrocities, yet he is declared by Scripture to be a man after God's own heart. Through it all, however, David maintained a deeply held desire to honor God. I believe that's the key right there. No, David was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He definitely wasn't. He made mistakes. He sent Uriah the Hittite off to be killed, murdered, so that he could possess Uriah's wife. He already had possessed her. He didn't want the scandal of it. But when Nathan the prophet came to him and said, Thou art the man. David's response was telling. He humbled himself. He repented in dust and ashes. And even though it was an atrocity at the highest level, it was a heinous act, God forgave him. But there was a price to pay for that, wasn't there? He was forgiven of his sin, but he said, from here on, you're going to have wars. This attitude of David stayed with him until toward the end of his life when he desired to build something for the name of the Lord which would stand long after he was gone. Amen. He desired to build a house for the Lord. When David would travel to Shiloh to worship in the tent that had traveled with Israel all through the wilderness, all up until that present time, David began to question and to wonder, I have a beautiful place to live. And the Lord God of Israel, He dwells in tents. Now, I don't know, personally, if I would have thought to pursue something like this, and here's why. If you read the book of Exodus, when, when God gives Moses the, the tabernacle plan, He seemed pretty definite. He seemed pretty conclusive. This is where I'm going to reside. But David, for whatever reason, thought this wasn't good enough for God. I want to give him something more. I want to give God my absolute best. David didn't desire to build it for the sake of his own name, but to build it unto the name of the Lord. Of course, we understand that anything we do for God has to be done with the right and proper motive. Well, I'm doing this for, for Jesus' sake. But your name is all over everything. Rob Becker Ministries. I always... Uh, I, I question the motive of that. I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's not my ministry. It's God's ministry. 
God has given me a ministry, but it's God that's doing the work. God does the work. God's given you a ministry, but God does the work through you. So our motives have to be for His glory, to promote His kingdom, to advance His will. Amen. In, every, in everything that we do for God, it's got to be done for Him. Unto the name of the Lord. Well, God turned around and gave David something in return. God promised him a house. God is never in debt to anyone. He never fails to observe any sacrifice made for His kingdom, and He never fails to bless the one making the sacrifice, however small it might be. Although David was not able to build the house of God, God honored David's desire. He turned around and he gave him something, a promise in return. We'll explore that in just a moment. But when we desire to do something for the Lord, something great, something wondrous, that's a good thing. I think that is from the Lord. And when David's desire was, I want to do something more, I really do think that that was from God, this desire. David was not able to do it, but the sacrifice that he made, the the, the commitment that he made to it was honored by God. And when we give anything, when we sacrifice anything, we're going to be talking about the ridiculousness of that in just a moment, but... When we're asked to give something for the work of God, when God asks of us directly or, or someone up here is like, we need to give, folks, uh, again. God honors that. God honors whatever we do for Him. Okay? When we struggle with giving something, when we struggle with doing something for God, when I feel that in my spirit, that's a check on me. That, that tells me something about where I am right now. If I'm not willing to do that, I might be willing and God says, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do something else. Okay, fine. That's fine. But I'm willing. I'm willing to give that money. I'm willing to give this time. I'm willing to show up and, and use these talents. He may not want me to, or he may want me to. But my willingness is, is what is key there. If I'm not willing, I have a problem, folks. I have a relationship problem. I have a, I have a spiritual condition that I need, to, I need God to help me with. The willingness is, is the key. The desire to serve God is what I want. I want that desire. I want that fervency, that passion, that zeal to do something for the Lord. David had that. He made all kinds of mistakes. He did the the census. Why? Because the Lord asked him to? No. He wanted to see how big his kingdom was. Pride. God judged him for that. God, God disciplined him for that. But when our motives are pure... When our motives are right, we just want to do something for the Lord. God honors that. Second Samuel 7.11 says, And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. He goes on later to say, There's always going to be a descendant of David on the throne. And of course, that was fulfilled completely and perfectly in Jesus Christ. He is forever on the throne of the seed of David. God will always do more for us than we can do for Him. Even our greatest devotion and sacrifice are not worthy to be compared to the manifold benefits and rewards for serving in God's kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Folks, it's hard to take a look at Calvary, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made in my behalf, and then go to Him and and moan and complain that I've given so much to God. It's hard for me to do that. 
Now, if I, if I avert my gaze from Calvary, maybe I could do it a little bit more with a clear conscience, but when I look at Calvary, folks, I can't do that. I can't do that at all. I don't like the word sacrifice when it comes to this, unless it's applied to Christ's sacrifice for me. The daily benefits of kingdom service eclipse whatever price tag might be on them. Again, service is its own reward. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that, I experience benefits and blessings beyond anything that I've ever been asked to give or do. And when you start to realize everything that God has done for us, everything that God does for us, will do for us, there's no sacrifice involved at all. I'm just, there's a little bit going out, but there's a huge amount coming in from God. I can't, I can't, that little pinhole that stuff is going through isn't big enough for me to, to release everything that's coming in. I can't give it away fast enough. God is so good to us. I hate even using the word sacrifice. Duty, maybe? Responsibility, perhaps? Anything we've been required to offer to the Lord has been returned to us over and over and over again. Amen. I totally believe that. I absolutely believe that. David wanted to build a temporal house to his God. God promised him an eternal one. God just has to always one-uppy on us. Five-uppy on us. We have a similar promise today. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5.1 Whatever we're doing for God here today is going to be returned multiple times. Multiple times. Both here and in heaven. Knowing this, though, we must keep our motives pure and not seek to give just so God will give back in abundance. There are people, I've read biographies and stuff like that, there are people, mostly uh at the turn of the century, last century, at least it meant coming into the 20th century, but not anymore. <clears throat> they would pay tithes because they knew that when they paid tithes, God blessed them. They lived like the devil. They, they didn't believe anything else, apparently, what the Scriptures had to say. But they paid tithes. God blessed them for that. And that's why they paid tithes. That's not our motive, though. That's not it at all. We do what Scripture tells us to do. We do what God tells us to do because it pleases Him. It's definitely the best thing for us. We want to look at it from that perspective. Obeying the commandments of God is the best thing for us. It leads to the best life possible. But, we ought to do it because it pleases Him. We love Him and it, and it gives Him pleasure when His children... Obey Him and serve Him and love Him in that, in that manner. God's rewards are not only temporal, but spiritual. And this is where those guys that pay tithes just to get the, the financial rewards lose out. They may get the temporal blessings, but they're getting none of the spiritual blessings. Our spiritual rewards will be forfeit if our motives are wrong. God may choose to bless us in the temporal. Pay tithes so I can get more money. But the spiritual benefits for doing that are, are forfeit to me. The blessings of God, the, the peace, the joy, the love, the presence of God, eternal life. Amen. David prepared to build the temple. David wanted to build the temple, but God would not allow it. First Chronicles 22.8 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. 
The blood that David said rendered him in God's estimation unworthy to construct the house of God. Now, I have to ask this question. The blood that David said, why did he do it? Why did he shed all that blood? At the commandment of the Lord. At the very least, David would come to him, should I go against them? Yes, go against them. You'll prevail. Go against them. I'll give you victory. If it wasn't by the express command of God, it was certainly the express permission of God. God's blessing was upon that. God was fighting with him. And yet, because he obeyed God, because he did what the Lord wanted him to do in fighting these battles, God said, you can't build me this temple. Isn't that interesting? When God says no to us, it does not necessarily mean we have displeased him. God's plans for us sometimes preclude some other pursuits. God may not let you do something. Because that's not for you to do. I've slotted someone else for that task. Have you ever been in a position where your role was to provide for the success of others? It's things like this that I am so thankful for the patience of God. Because I have been in that role. And I didn't like it. I was a little bit angry about it. Are you telling me that you created me? I'm on this earth for the sole purpose of magnifying someone else. That's the only reason I'm here. I said that. I've repented. God has graciously forgiven me. I was able to fulfill that role, but I was a stupid guy, folks. I really was. Oh, my word. Anyway, <clears throat> if I could talk to that guy, right? <laughs> Beat some sense into him. When we're in that position, folks, do it with all of your heart. Help that individual succeed. Help that individual move forward. As I see it, one of my responsibilities is to do that for each of you. Now I love the concept. I love the idea. I think that's awesome. To, to pour into you and to see you excel and to grow and to do things I'll never be able to see or do. I love that idea. But that might be our ministry, at least for a time, to do that for someone. And that's an awesome thing. It's a beautiful thing. The Lord is, is blessed by our obedience to that, and God blesses us when we do that for someone else. When our role is to provide for the success of others, that's a humbling role. A lot of people call it the number two position. The number two position is a very hard position for a lot of people to fill. And it's for this one reason. You come up with a lot of good ideas, you come up with a lot of uh, uh, great things uh, for, for the church to move forward in, and the number one guy gets all the credit. You go to a conference, you go to a, a sexual meet, the number one guy is the one that gets all the praise. Number two guy is, well, he's just there agreeing with them. Generally, that's the way it has to be. And there are reasons for that. But, but the number two position is a very hard position to fill because it takes humility. It takes us choking down our pride and our, our, our need for uh, promotion, our need for uh, someone to say, man, you're doing a great job. Because by and large, the number two guy, they don't get that a whole lot. I've been number two for a long time. I'm telling you, at least in my experience, they don't get that a whole lot. But the Lord gives it. The Lord knows what's going on. Amen. And He's using you 
He's using you mightily. It's a beautiful role. It's a necessary role. It is an absolutely necessary role. I've mentioned this before, uh, this thing called the, the burden of command. When the buck stops with you and you've got to make the final decision, that that's, can be mentally harrowing. harrowing. Uh, and sometimes it's difficult because you see everything, uh, so you're the one that has to make the decision, but at the same time you have the responsibility for the fallout of that decision. And that weighs on you. When you've got a, number, a trusted number two guy that you can run that by and say, hey, what do you think of this? He has no, he has no skin in the game. So when I was number two guy, I could give, I could give some good, clear, biblical counsel. This, this is what I think we should do. Of course, it's, you know, it's your decision, but because that burden of command wasn't on me. So the number two position is very important if the number one person will, will utilize that. Amen. David gathers laborers and materials. David could have responded to God's answer angrily, like I initially did. Why should someone else get the credit for what I dreamed? It was my idea. I'm not going to be a part of helping build Solomon's temple when it should have been David's temple. He could have said that. He could have thought that. But instead, rather than focusing on what God would not allow him to do, focus on what God did allow him to do. Okay, I can't build the temple. I can do other things. First Chronicles 22, 2-5 says, David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. He set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also, cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I'm going to start using magnifical. I like that. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. David's vision and years of preparation helped to build Solomon's temple, without a doubt. He did help build the temple, even though he wasn't around to see it completed. And it is known as Solomon's temple, isn't it? Sol or David charged Solomon to complete the work. Before his death, David was intentional about communicating his vision to his successor. He wasn't going to leave it to chance, but chose to instruct Solomon on this one task that he had in his future. Amen. First Chronicles 22.6 says, Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. He also explained to Solomon why. 22 and 10 says, He shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son. This is the Lord speaking to David. I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. The why was because God told you to. This is the express will of God for you, Solomon. We, all of us, must become good at communicating to the next generation those things that God has put in our hearts. That burden, that passion, that zeal that you have for the Lord must be communicated to the next generation. They're not going to pick it up by osmosis. They're not going to just observe and do. It needs to be purposefully transmitted to the next generation. Amen. Maybe God gave us burdens and desires not to accomplish them ourselves, but to train the next generation to accomplish them. This, of course, requires an elder with a willingness to speak and a successor with a willingness to hear. Amen. When you have those two folks, that's a powerful combination. When you have a young... I'll speak from my perspective. If you have a young guy... Coming up, he's excited, he's on fire. Doesn't know much, but boy, he's excited. Amen. That's the kind of guy I like. I can give him the knowledge. I can give him all of that. What I can't give him is that zeal. I can't give him, at least initially, hopefully I can transmit some of that burden uh, over time, but, but when they're coming with that, that's, that's huge. I can work with that. They're going to make mistakes. 
They're going to run into stuff and bounce off stuff. But that's fine. That's fine. We can temper that if we need to. Trying to get that started from ground up, that's difficult. But we get someone like that, we take them under our wing. Show them the ropes, as it were. Show them how to live as a Christian. How to pray, how to fast, how to study. Show them how to study the Word of God. My goodness. I take it for granted now, but when I first came into church, I didn't know what a concordance was. I didn't know who Matthew Henry was. I didn't know any of that stuff. They have this stuff? I thought, yeah, maybe the pastor would have that. You have one of those? Really? Sit down with someone and show them how to break a verse apart. Give them some some principles of, of Bible interpretation, Bible study. Show them how you do it. How do I go through a devotion? Transmitting what we have received to the next generation. Because folks, as time goes on, I get more and more aware we're not going to be here forever. Should the Lord tarry, people will be planting us. Saying a eulogy over us. It'll be that next generation. That hopefully we've given something to them by that time. Amen. Being a good steward honors God. We know about stewardship in our time, our finances, our talents. But what about our vision? God's given us that as well. Our burden, our passion. How do we manage those things that God has put into our hearts? Are we willing to do everything we can to complete our mission, even if that means setting someone else up for ultimate success? Amen. And that's hard for some people to do. I have heard horror stories of churches. The pastor, God bless him, he should have retired five, ten years ago. But he's still plugging along. 85, 90, 95 years old. Just, he just can't give it up. And then he dies, and then there's nothing set up. There's no successor. There's, there's nothing. So now the church is kind of stuck in limbo. I really appreciate it. I do. When, when there is a plan of succession in place. It's an easy transition. The congregation is aware of it. I mean, that, that's a hard transition for a congregation to make anyway. Let alone just be thrown into a lurch like that. In any ministry, there should be a plan of succession set up like that. Brother, uh, Brother McGinnis said yesterday during the men's thing, we're training our own replacement. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. We are training our own replacement. And we're going to let them replace not when I'm dead and gone, probably before that. Solomon builds the temple, but it would not have happened without David's investment. Solomon will, though, forever be known as the one who constructed the temple. It bears his name. It was his accomplishment. It happened under his leadership. But it was built so that the name of the Lord would be there. Now, that would have never happened. David did everything he could. David transmitted the, the burden to Solomon, and then he died. He was gone. Now it was entirely in Solomon's hands. Solomon could have said, eh, now that he's gone, I'm having second thoughts. I think I'll just spend this money. He could have. But he caught the burden. He caught the vision. It became Solomon's burden now. It was his vision now. In Joshua 1-2, it's a similar situation. God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, thou, and all this people unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Moses has done everything he could. He worked with Joshua 40 years. Now Joshua is in charge. 
Joshua could have done anything you chose to have done anything you wanted to. But he received that burden. The transition had been made. Now, in Solomon's time, the entire enterprise hinges on Solomon's commitment to it. 1 Kings 5.5 5 says that, Behold, I purpose to build an house under the name of the Lord my God. This is Solomon speaking. As the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set up thy throne in thy, na- thy room, he shall build an house under my name. Solomon understood that this assignment was the direct will of God for him and that he would be acting on divine direction. I purpose to build. He didn't say, David wanted me to do this. God wanted me to do this. Both true. He purposed in his heart to do this. He possessed it. He took ownership of it. He received it. That burden. David's purpose became Solomon's purpose. And that is why the temple was built. Each of us have a purpose in God's kingdom. And the key to its fulfillment is to embrace that purpose as our own. When we receive something, we possess it, we own it, we take ownership of it, we use it. We don't sit it on a shelf and forget about it. That's those gifts that when somebody else's birthday comes around, you rewrap it and give it to them. That's not what we're talking about here. No, that's my gift. That's mine. I received that. I'm using that. I, I want that. We need to embrace it as our own. You may be the one who gathers materials. You may be the one who shapes the metal. You may be the one who hews the trees. Or you may be the one who leads the effort and has your name forever attached to its completion. But it doesn't matter where we fall in the chain of events, does it? All that matters is that God is using us mightily to get the thing done. To get a great purpose accomplished. And whatever purpose that is, that's entirely in God's control. Wherever I fall into that chain of events is entirely God's to choose. We're His servants. What is in our control is our willingness to commit to doing the will of God, whatever that looks like, no matter how long it takes and no matter what it costs. We must purpose also to accomplish God's will in our lives. Amen. In his book, An Unhurried Life Following Jesus' Rhythms of Work and Rest, author Alan Fadling crafts a contemporary parable about a king and two servants. Each of these two men had a deep desire to please his king, but their approaches to doing so were drastically different from one another. One of them was consumed with a fear of not pleasing his master, so he rose early each day to start his work. He would immediately begin to invest himself in the list of everything he believed the king wanted done. Not wanting to intrude on the king's busy schedule, he never inquired about what that list looked like. Instead, his days were consumed from first light until late into the evenings, can't see to can't see, was scurrying from project to project. The other servant was equally eager to make his master happy. He, too, would rise just as early, but his first task of the day was different. He would always take a few moments to inquire of the king about his wishes for the day and to find out what he would like accomplished. Only after having such a conversation would this servant proceed with his work for the day. It is, it is possible the first servant may have completed several tasks by the time the second servant had even started his work. But which of them was doing the will of the master? Which one was pleasing him? Fadling observes, quote, Genuine productivity is not about getting as much done for God as we can imagine. It is doing the good work God actually has for us in a given day, unquote. God's timing and purposes are perfect, but only if we hear from Him can we know what that looks like in practical Christian living. His voice will harmonize with the voice of our spiritual authority to make God's plans for us clear. Then it is our responsibility to give our passion and energy to doing what the King has directed. Having heard His pleasure, it is then time to do His pleasure. Solomon's willingness to receive direction and fulfill it should challenge us to do the same. What has God spoken to you about? What is your vision and passion, even if it first belonged to another? What does your pastor ask you to invest in uh, with your time and talents? What does your local church need from you? Have you taken time to speak with the king about these types of questions? Solomon's temple stands as one of the great construction accomplishments in the ancient world. Your ministry efforts can stand as a lasting testimony in this current world and in the world to come. Catch the vision. Do whatever you can. Do whatever he asks. Amen. Let's all stand.
Jesus, you are so awesome to us. You are so good and so gracious unto us. I pray that as your word has gone forth, that we would receive it now, that we would take possession of it, take ownership of it. Those things that you have talked with us about, those things that you have commanded us and spoken to us, that it is your will for us to accomplish. I pray that you would renew our past and renew our burden for those things. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see with eyes of faith its completion, even if it will take longer than, than our lives to, to complete. Help us to do everything that we can and then to invest in the next generation and transmit that burden to them so that they can complete it in your name. Bless the remainder of our service today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Uh, we're on break. We'll be back at a quarter till four.